You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. That means that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 52. We are reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Please follow along in your Bibles and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane and he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little further, fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again he came and found them sleeping, because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs, as if I were a criminal, to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Does Jesus have emotions? Or does he at least feel the emotions that all of us feel? Joy, happiness, anger, loneliness. You know, sometimes uh, when we read the Gospels, we almost get the sense that Jesus, well, he isn't quite human, is he? I mean, he's physical, he's real, but 
just a little bit unrelatable. Just a bit neutral, almost as if he doesn't have a personality. I mean, he says things like, truly, I tell you. I mean, who says that? It's like he's God in a human body. But the body's just a shell for what's really inside. He doesn't feel like one of us, does he? Does Jesus have emotions like we do? Now, on one level, I think we have to say no, right? Like, he doesn't. Jesus doesn't have the human emotions that make us volatile, unpredictable, and uncontrolled creatures. He isn't like a father who who disciplines his child with a cane, but gets carried away and overtaken by anger and ends up beating his child in rage. And it's not like a mythical Greek god who's petty, vindictive and and prone to sudden and random outbursts of passion. No, no, no. That's why the Reformed Confessions all say that God is without body, parts or passions. He doesn't suffer mood swings or emotional changes like we do. You see, when we're tossed around by our emotional highs and our emotional lows... We can hold on to him who does not change. We can trust him whose love never fails. But but does that mean that God has no emotions at all? That doesn't mean that he feels nothing. You know, someone once said to me, Adam, you won't know compassion until life has kicked the crap out of you. Well, if Jesus feels no emotion, can he really be compassionate? Can he really understand us? Can he really comfort us? I mean, if I'm honest, it's odd to think of God as having emotions, isn't it? Because we almost think of emotions as, I don't know, a a sign of weakness. But in this passage, we get a glimpse of the raw emotion that Jesus feels. We get to see just how human He really is. And I want you to see that Jesus is far more like us than we could ever begin to imagine. And as we peer into Jesus' inner life, we're going to meet four people in this passage. Four people. And then we'll close by asking two questions. Person number one, a suffering saviour. Let me ask, when is it that you pray most desperately? I I suspect we turn to God when we have nowhere else to run. When we're facing temptation and and we lack the strength to stand. And actually, it's no different for Jesus. You know, the three times that Jesus prays in Mark's gospel is when, just like us, he's facing temptation. In chapter 1, verse 35, in chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus prays against the temptation to be a miracle worker instead of the Messiah. And now we find him here in chapter 14, verse 32, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this time, he's praying against a very different temptation. Jesus is praying against a temptation to run away from the cross, to abandon his mission, to die for the world. 
You might be surprised to hear that Jesus was tempted to run away. That Jesus was tempted to walk away from God like so many of us are tempted every single day. But, But when you see the severity of his suffering, how could he not? How could he not? Just look, in verse 33, Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. I mean, these aren't words that describe a mild anxiety. They're saying that Jesus was an intense state of fear. Verse 34, Jesus literally says, My soul is swallowed up unto death. Sadly, many of you will know what it feels like to have a panic attack. Your chest tightens. Your gut churns. Your head feels overwhelmed by the moment. See, this isn't Jesus praying placidly in Gethsemane like those beautiful pieces of ancient art. No, no. This is the scene of a trauma victim who cannot help but uncontrollably shake with fear. He's catatonic. And in verse 35, Jesus is so distraught that he physically collapses to the ground because he bears the weight of the world's sin. He's carrying the full force of God's wrath. That's why he pleads in verse 36, take this cup from me. You see, friends, the cup is a symbol of God's wrath. In Isaiah 51, the Lord says, look, I've removed from your hand the cup that causes staggering That goblet, the cup of my fury. That's what Jesus is drinking. The cup of God's fury. The the goblet of God's wrath against the sins of the world. And he's drinking that cup down to its very last dregs. It's no wonder that he cries out to his father in distress. As any child would, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Friends, do you feel the weight of Jesus' suffering? Our sin is so wicked that God's wrath must be so great that Jesus' suffering must be so severe. You see, in this moment, Jesus is bearing the full force of God's wrath. He is taking into himself the judgment of every person in every place from every moment of time. And while it would be impossible for God the Son to to suffer in hell, Jesus experiences the full agony of all its horrors. You see, in that cup, Jesus drinks the fires of hell into his own body. How can he not be deeply distressed? How can he not be tempted to run away from the cross? Wouldn't you be? And yet, Jesus somehow says, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submits to his Father's will and he drinks every last drop of his wrath. 
You know, I once spoke to a young man who, who thought that when Jesus died, when Jesus suffered, he didn't actually feel any pain. And in some way, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus is truly God. But he's also truly human. And in this moment, he, he feels everything that we would have felt. All the pain, all the anger, and all the fury. You see, Jesus feels emotions like everyone else. But he knows pain like no one else. And he's faced a temptation like nothing else. Who would have ever imagined that Jesus would be tempted to walk away from God? That Jesus would be tempted to give up on God? But he was. But he didn't. He submitted to the Father's will. And he became our suffering saviour. Imagine then the, the shock of suffering so greatly, only to find then sleeping disciples. Just imagine what Jesus must have felt. You, you've been battling the temptation to run away from the cross, to walk away from God, to give up on humanity. And then you come down from your prayer and what do you find? You find your closest friends, the, the very people who should be knowing your pain, comforting you in your moments of grief. And what are they doing? They've given in to the temptation to sleep. And you think to yourself, really? These are my closest friends? These are the people that I'm going to suffer and die for? It doesn't just happen once. It doesn't just happen even twice. It happens three times. Every time you pray, against that temptation to run away from the cross, here they are, succumbing to the temptation to sleep. You're drinking from the cup of God's wrath for a people who couldn't care less. You know what, guys? If I were Jesus, I, I would have felt so alone. In verse 38, Jesus says to Peter, Stay awake and pray. So that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We can tell, can't we, that Jesus is he's not just talking about the temptation to fall asleep. No, he's talking about the very temptation that he himself is facing. The temptation to run away from the cross. The temptation to give up on God. Jesus is telling Peter, I'm willing to die for you. Even though everything in my humanity struggles to do it. But I'm praying. I'm pleading for the strength to run to the cross for you. And I'm calling you to follow my faithfulness. When the hard times come. When the suffering arrives. When you're tempted to run away from me, as you will be tempted in just a few moments, don't. Remember, I was tempted to run away from the cross, to walk away from God, and to give up on you. But I didn't. 
I submitted to my father's will and I willingly but painfully ran to the cross also that I might die for you. I'm a pretty emotional person. And when I go through any form of suffering, it's so easy for me to feel like I'm all alone. Like no one understands what I'm going through. Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt? How lonely he must have been to die for a world that's fast asleep. To suffer for a world all alone. While your closest friends don't even seem to care. You are their suffering saviour. And they are but sleeping disciples. But you know what? I will take sleeping disciples any day. Any day. Over a beloved betrayer. To just look at how Mark describes Judas in verse 43. He is one of the twelve. One of Jesus' closest friends. I mean, you'd think, right, that in your moment of deepest despair, your closest friends, they they would be running, coming to comfort you. But just imagine that in your deepest despair, one of your closest friends comes and he betrays you. And if that betrayal wasn't hurtful enough, in verse 45, Judas betrays his friend with a kiss. What a cutting irony as a sign of affection is actually an act of betrayal. It would be like a man who takes his wife on their anniversary to the place they first met. It's their special place. They they, they eat her favorite meal. They listen to their special song. And they share in a night of love. Only for the man to look at his wife and tell her, I'm leaving you for another woman. I mean, the betrayal was hurtful enough, but but why now? Why today? Why here? Why like this? You know, if someone did that to my friend, I'd be furious. I'd be so, so angry. I'd be so protective over my friend who's been so deeply betrayed. You know, that's how one disciple felt. In verse 47, what does he do? He draws his sword, strikes the high priest's servant and cuts off his ear. Under the threat of danger, he chooses to fight. And yet, Jesus stops him. And just hear how calm he is in this moment of deep betrayal. Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple and you you didn't arrest me. Friends, did you hear what Jesus is saying? This arrest is so unfair, unjust and unreasonable. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. My father's will must be honoured. This is something I've got to do. This is a cup I've got to drink. This is a betrayal I've got to accept. This is a cross I've got to carry so that I can be the saviour of the world. 
You know, I wonder sometimes how Jesus must have looked at Judas in this moment. There's no hint of bitterness, no sign of hatred. Surely there must have been a deep, deep hurt. Jesus is truly human and he feels out every pain. And a few wounds can be as deep as the wounds of a beloved betrayer. And finally, we encounter someone very strange. Someone just a little bit surprising. We meet a mysterious naked man. It's a bit random, isn't it, right, that that Mark would include these verses? I mean, look at it, right? Verse 50, everyone deserts Jesus. None of them want to be caught. So what do they do? All the disciples run away, all except for one. This one disciple is still following Jesus. And he's wearing nothing but a linen cloth, nothing but his underwear. The crowd spots him and they, and they recognize him as one of Jesus' disciples. That they catch him and in the physical scuffle that ensues, his linen cloth is torn off and he runs away naked. Well, what do we do? What do we do, right, with a man like this? Whoever he may be, which isn't all that important, just like everyone else, this mysterious naked man runs away. He may have followed Jesus for a little while, but, but in the end, even he abandons his Lord. He's more willing to bear the shame of nakedness than the shame of following Jesus. You see, in the end, Jesus does not give in to the temptation to run away from the cross. But all of his disciples give in to the temptation to run away from him. You've got to wonder, how did Jesus feel when he saw absolutely everyone turn their backs on him? Even this mysterious naked man. Some people wonder if Jesus has emotions. And I don't know about you, but I read this passage and I wonder, how could he not? Just look at the intensity of what he must have felt, the pain of God's wrath as our suffering saviour. The loneliness of being surrounded by sleeping disciples. The hurt at the hands of a beloved betrayer. And the abandonment of absolutely everyone. You see, friends, Jesus knows pain like none of us ever will. Jesus has experienced a hurt that no one in this world will ever know. And that means he can know our pain. He can comfort our hurt. He can heal our hearts. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. You see, friends, Jesus has experienced the temptation that all of us ever have, even the temptation to walk away from God. Even the temptation to give up on God. But he didn't. Instead of giving in to the temptation to run away from the cross, Jesus submitted to the Father. And he took on all the fear, all the pain and all the shame because he had a far greater mission. 
to die for the sins of the world and to save us from the wrath of God. See, friends, Jesus feels our pain more deeply than we ever could. And he loves us more than we could ever imagine. Let, let me close by asking just two questions. Two questions. The first question is about Jesus. And the second question is for us. First question. Was Jesus unwilling to die? I mean, you, you might get the impression from this passage that Jesus really, really, really didn't want to die. When he prays to the Father, not what I will, but what you will, it sounds like Jesus was forced to go to the cross. And if that's the case, then we can't really say that Jesus wanted to save us, can we? We can't even really say that Jesus truly loves us. But even more than that, if Jesus unwillingly died for our sins, what does that say about God the Father? Is the Father guilty of what some people say, cosmic child abuse, compelling his son to die for the world? You see, friends, if Jesus was unwilling to die, we worship an immoral father and an unloving son. Let, let me offer three responses, three responses to that. Firstly, the Father, Son, and Spirit all share the one will. In John 5.36, Jesus says, These very works I am, te- I, I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. And yet, in Philippians 2, Paul writes that in eternity, Jesus chose to come as a man and humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Can you see, friends, those two passages working together? The Father and the Son share the one will from eternity past and the one plan for the whole world. Secondly, God's will always originates from the Father and is always received by the Son. Do you notice in 1 Peter that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all share the one will, but they all work in different ways? God the Father eternally decrees, he eternally wills the salvation of his people. Everything, Peter writes, is according to his foreknowledge. And God the Son receives and carries out that will. It's with the blood of Jesus Christ that we are saved. In John 6.38, Jesus says, For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, friends, Jesus shares the Father's will. He receives the Father's will, and he carries out the Father's will. So thirdly, the Son willingly dies For the sins of the world. In John 10, Jesus says, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Friends, do you see those two realities? Jesus perfectly receives the will of the Father and Jesus himself lays down his own life willingly. 
Don't ever think that Jesus was unwilling to die. Don't ever think that Jesus didn't want to save you. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't really love you. Mark shows us that Jesus was so willing to save you that he endured the greatest pain, the deepest loneliness, the most hurtful betrayal, and the most absolute abandonment. You might find it hard to believe, but Jesus did not begrudgingly drink the fires of hell. Was Jesus unwilling to die? Not at all. He did it all out of love. Love for his father. And love for you. So it only leaves us now with one question, doesn't it? If Jesus was willing to die for us, are we willing to follow him? You know, friends, for all of us, for all of us without exception, if we follow Jesus, at some point in our lives, we will face the same temptation that the disciples faced. Will we run away from Jesus or will we follow him as his friend? Will we run away from Jesus or will we follow him as his friend? That idea of being a friend of Jesus runs beneath the surface of this entire passage. Because who was it that Jesus took with him to Gethsemane? And who was it that that fell asleep while Jesus prayed? It wasn't just any of his disciples. It wasn't even just his closest 12. It was his inner three. Peter, James, and John. And yet even they did not follow Jesus as the friends they were meant to be. Faced with Judas and the crowd, they ran away from Jesus. They abandoned their closest friend. And the moment will come for all of us, if it hasn't already, when we will face the crowd And we will feel the shame of being associated with Jesus. As your family thinks you a fool, your colleagues laugh at your faith, and your friends force you to choose, is it going to be Jesus or us, your God or our gang? If I'm honest, faced with that temptation, far too many of us might feel like that mysterious naked man, willing to bear any shame, just not the shame of following Jesus. If you're faced with that temptation of walking away from God, I want you to remember this. Jesus did not run away from the cross for you. As hard as it was, for all the shame and all the pain, he embraced it all. He submitted to his father's will. He died, all so that he might save you from your sins. And if he was so willing to die for you, are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to be the friend of Jesus whom his disciples failed to be? Are you willing to forego comfort, interest, and your own will so that you might pray to God, Father, not my will, but yours be done?
You see, you might not know where you could ever get the strength to follow Jesus. When you see the crowd and you see your friends who pressure you like the crowd, pressure the disciples, how could you not run away from Jesus? Please know this. If you walk away from God, you're not just giving up on a, on a, on a, on a pointless, personless, loveless religion. No, just like Judas, we are betraying a beloved friend. I hope you know this, that Jesus knows the temptation you feel. He's felt the pressure you're under. He knows how hard it is to keep walking with God. But faced with the temptation to run away, he prayed. He asked the Father for the strength he needed to walk to the cross. Are you praying? Are you asking your Father for the strength you need to walk with Jesus? Are you throwing yourself on his mercy and pleading with him for his strength? Isn't it that great irony that when we are tempted to run away from Jesus, it is then that we must run towards him most? No, do not run away from Jesus in fear. Run towards him in prayer. When you feel the temptation to walk away from God, don't, don't give in to it. But don't just stand there. No, no, look to God, run to him and follow him as your closest friend. You know, last week I introduced you to Nicholas Ridley, that great English reformer. But what I didn't say was that when Ridley was burnt at the stake and killed for insisting that Jesus died once for all, he did not die alone. He walked to the stake with one of his closest friends, a man named Hugh Latimer, who just like him resisted the Roman Catholic worship of the supper. It's beautiful when you think about it. Jesus' disciples slept and scattered. But Latimer walked with his friend Ridley to their cross. And when they arrived, these two friends, at the age of 55 and 68, hugged each other. And you know what? I don't think they somehow weren't afraid. They almost definitely were. But they embraced their fear. They owned their suffering. They accepted their pain. They walked to their death. They faced the flames together. And I want you to hear what Latimer said to his friend as the flames were about to consume them. Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. Wow, what friends of Jesus and what friends of each other. What a picture of a man who walked with Jesus to the very end. What a resolve from a frail old man at the end of a life which declared, not my will, but yours be done. Brothers and sisters, may we, like Latimer and Ridley, be friends of each other. But more importantly, may all of us be friends of Jesus.
as we follow him to the cross. Amen.